Did you ever feel like what you learned in law school didn't prepare you for the world of running a law practice? Law school didn't teach us how to start our practices the right way so that we could scale them into a thriving business. We didn't learn how to make sure that our businesses would meet our financial goals and provide the type of lifestyle we deserve. After 10 years, I was fed up with struggling in my practice and decided to begin a journey to scaling a successful practice that would actually allow me to finally live the life I've always dreamed of. I invite you to listen in on the conversations I'm having with some of the most successful solo and small firm practitioners, along with leading business entrepreneurs, and share how I am implementing what I am learning, all with the goal of helping you take control of your practice and your life. This is The Law Entrepreneur. Hey there, fellow law entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 312 of The Law Entrepreneur. I'm Neil Tyra, your host once again. And today my guest is Jotham Stein. Now, Jotham is a principal of the law offices of Jotham Stein, located in California. And he has more than a couple of decades of experience representing entrepreneurs and C-suite executives in a whole bunch of different types of companies. You also represent board members and investment bankers, as well as less senior employees of all different size companies. He has written a book called Negotiate Like a CEO, and it looks at how all employees can protect themselves with the lessons that he's learned from representing top entrepreneurs and executives, and you know how you can profit from it as well. And I think it's particularly enlightening in terms of the legal space these days with people hiring and firing and and merging and acquiring. So I think it's something that we could all benefit from. So without any further delay, here is Jotham Stein. Jotham Stein, welcome to The Law Entrepreneur. Thanks, Neil. Great to be here. Well, I am delighted to have you with us, Jotham. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how how you came to be where you are today. Well, I'm Jotham Stein, and uh, I assume... You mean how I came to be a lawyer and to be on your program. And I'm a lawyer and my law firm is, uh, well, we have offices in New York, uh, Illinois, and California and Palo Alto, Silicon Valley. And we represent principally entrepreneurs, executives, C-suite executives, um, and everyone, on, uh, even from newbie employees, in their, typically in their personal relationships with their, with their uh, companies or whoever they're doing business with. And, and in the employment world, that means severance agreements, it means employment agreements, it means change of control agreements for C-suite executives, it means management carve-out agreements. And I got there totally by accident. I was at the, yeah, I was at the big firm and I, then I went out and hung up my own shingle and people actually knew me as a litigator. So they started to send me a lot of, they knew me, I was a, litig- and a good litigator, so they would send me like contract disputes and so forth. And eventually I figured out that I could probably write a contract that would maximize your chances of not getting into a legal dispute. And over time, I started to represent entrepreneurs and executives and, and, and everybody actually in the you know, employment world. And at some point early on in my career, and I, and I talk about this in my book, which is I negotiate like a CEO that's uh, just being released about how I started out. And one of the things I did was I recognized that, well, all these people out there who have no idea about the employment relationship. And they start from newbies all the way up to CEOs. And in those days in Silicon Valley, there was a a magazine called The Red Herring. 
And it was hard for me starting out. I was basically the undercapitalized business, you know, about business. And, but I scraped together enough money and I put an ad in this magazine, which was really hot in Silicon Valley at the time. And probably the only reason I could afford this ad was because its main circulation was somewhere between San Francisco in the north and San Jose in the south, mm-hmm. which is Silicon Valley, essentially. Right. And, and so I talk, as I talk about in my book, I mean, it, was, it, it, it screamed like even CEOs get fired. And, and, and you would not believe who responded to that ad because there are all these people out there who like are afraid to talk about their employment relationship when they go bad and who are sometimes afraid to talk about it with people when it's good and they're going into a relationship and it becomes private, but they have no, they don't want to talk to their colleagues, their spouses about it. And I was stunned early on how many people would respond to the ad. And so one thing led to another. I've been doing this now for more than 25 years. And uh, now we have a, a very a strong practice. We get referrals all the time. But it started out as a, your basic undercapitalized business, hung out my own shingle. And, and, and that's, how I, that's how I fell into it, actually. I, leaving the big firm, I never would have thought I would be a, do what I do now. And, and you, but you were in that physical area, geographic area when you started, right? The Silicon Valley area? Uh, yes, and I'm yeah. still there. I have an office in Palo Alto. That's always right. been my office, uh, main right. office for me, even though I lived in Illinois for a while. And I live in Half Moon Bay, California, which is what we say is over the hill to Silicon Valley. So I just live through, I love the ocean. So I live three blocks from the beach. So yes, you're right. I was lucky. I was lucky to be in the right geographic location, you know, as Silicon Valley started to grow and grow and expand. And I just happened to be that being in the, that place at the right time, I recognized that there was this, a whole bunch of people out there who needed legal help. And, you know, as year went after year, I learned more and more and more. So I was able to help all these people. And that's an advertisement I talked about was in a Silicon Valley news uh, magazine that then became very large. And then I think it's folded many years ago when right. magazine went out. But, but you are correct that I happened to be in the right place. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying, trying to pin down the location because while that certainly was true during the boom days of, you know, the dot-com era and, and the birth, if you will, of the concept of entrepreneurship as a thing in and of itself, but it's not limited. So it wasn't limited Silicon Valley. It still isn't. I mean, we've got plenty of opportunities throughout the country and around the world. And I'm sure that, that uh, with your offices in places like Illinois and New York, uh, city that you know that's who you know that's who you serve now that's exactly right I, I mean we have clients now i mean this is how i started out right. now i have my firm we have uh, four lawyers in my firm and we represent people literally all over the world but but certainly across the country two of our lawyers myself and one of my colleagues are licensed in new york or a couple of are licensed in illinois so yeah we get calls all the time and represent people around the country and if we're not licensed in a state, so then we refer we refer to the the the, the, uh, oh. the entrepreneur executive to somebody from their state. Or, but but you're absolutely 100 percent right. And now there are there are you know entrepreneurial places. There's capital, very vibrant communities in, in many states, even places you wouldn't expect. For sure, I mean it it it's exploded, and just just in the same way that. You think of the space, the entrepreneurial space, tech-oriented, if you will, to some extent. As that has gotten bigger and more complex and more evolved, 
the the needs, the the legal needs of the people involved in that have shifted and grown and expanded. So, you know, not not only are you expanding your reach in terms of who you service geographically, you're expanding your role, I presume, in the kinds of things you do on behalf of C-suite executives and entrepreneurs and and the like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, half the advice we give isn't legal, it's business advice based on the okay. experience we see. So someone will come to us and we are very either very often giving proactive business advice because that's what they're coming and asking us about. Or sure. sometimes, sometimes we say, you know, if you had come to us six months ago, I could have told you what was going to happen. And, you know, that's what we lay out. That's why I wrote Negotiate Like a CEO, the book because there are so many people out there who have these needs, legal and business, and they could really benefit from, from the experience that I have over 25 odd years yeah. in that world. And, um, and, and it's not just, uh, the book is not just for you know, C-suite executives. It, it helps even the newbie um, yeah. per, person coming out of undergraduate or business school or first well, that's job. What I, that's what I wanted to segue to. And it's kind of a long-winded approach on my part, but to, so, Tell us a little bit about the book. So you, you've been doing this for 25 years and you've seen the explosive growth of what's needed in that community. And it screams out for this book in particular. Why so? Uh, because everybody out there, starting from the newbie up to the C-suite executive, should want to know the landscape of employment, what are the things to look out for that are going to really help them in their career and get them ahead in their career and, and everything, the minefields out there that could wind up costing them a job and, and, and more than that, losing equity or losing money and not getting a severance agreement and so forth. And it's not something you know we talk about so much. And it's not something that people know just intuitively, going back to that ad I was talking about. So yeah. that's why that's why I negotiated like a CEO, why I wrote it. I wrote it to help people. And, and frankly, from some of your you know, podcast listeners that are lawyers and starting out, if they are, or uh, looking, at, looking to represent you know, C-suite executives, it, it would be incredibly beneficial if any of them have anything to do with the entrepreneurial world or even not. Because remember, we represent not only entrepreneurs, but people who have you know, their old Fortune 100 companies, for example, or Fortune 50 companies are... And they haven't they haven't done entrepreneurial type of work maybe ever, but they're great they're great managers. So that's what that's why that's why I wrote the book and uh, and that's how it started. Well, help me understand then is the perspective more about here's the landmines and the pitfalls to avoid, or here are some of the techniques that you can employ to get better results for yourself and 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 for your clients. Um. Or all of the above? All of the above. It's, okay. it's uh, in other words, and, and your question, it, it's not an either or question, right? Right. So it starts, it's a description of the employment relationship and entrepreneurial relationship and business relationship, starting from the, the beginning as you are being interviewed for a job, all the way to protecting yourself. That's one of the, the key um, focuses of the book, how you protect yourself, how you protect yourself as a new employee, how you could protect yourself as a mid-level manager, how you can protect yourself in the C-suite. And so knowing the minefields is, it tells you two things, for example, just to use your, to show you how the question is really one and the same. 
If you understand the minefields and know what to look out for, then before you start your employment relationship in the offer letter and the employment agreement, you want to protect yourself against those minefields. You hope they never happen, but if they do, then you protect yourself. And that's what I talk about in the book as a professional prenuptial agreement. And that can be just one line in an offer letter. It could be two lines in an offer letter, or it could be a full-blown employment agreement, depending on where the person is, the new, new employer, prospective employee is in their career. For the newbie, it's also to look out for, you know, you want to think like a CEO, you want to try to get ahead in your career as you go along. So you want to know what those minefields might be. So you can either avoid them or get another job if you can't avoid them. And on the back end, you know, if, you, if you're in the world of the minefield, then understanding where you are and what your best approaches might be. And a perfect example is, I mean, the C-suite executives are very much going to benefit from the book, but but anyone will. And a perfect example of a minefield is a performance improvement plan, right? The old PIP. And mm-hmm. CEOs and C-suite executives don't get PIPs because they just get fired if that's what's going to happen. But in many companies, PIPs, performance improvement plans, are really the kiss of employment death. They're, they're, they're not there to help you improve. In some companies, they are. Yeah. But in, in, in the overwhelming number, in my experience, they're there to protect the company from being sued. And so what a performance improvement plan is, they come to the employee. Uh, it could be a new employee. It can be somebody, a mid-level manager, even a senior person, just not the C-suite level, because the C-suite level guys get, or women get fired. And, and it says, you have 60 days, typically, or you have 30 days, or you have 90 days to correct all of these problems. Right. And, 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 and if you do, you continue to, you, you, you'll still be here. And if not, we can fire you. And, and, and the overwhelming, um, um, my experience is anecdotally, the overwhelming, the overwhelming amount of time, that's just a way to force the, way to protect the company to force the employee out. So if you well, see that, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, as most of our listeners know, law is my fourth career. And in, for a vast majority of time, I was in the technical world. And I saw those PIP plans implemented a dozen, two dozen times in various companies that I worked with. And you're, you're absolutely correct. They, on, you know, on surface, they're designed to help the employee, but really the justification there is to provide that insulation for the company to keep from getting sued for a wrongful termination. But that's exactly right because. What does the company do if somebody sues them for whatever the wrongful termination is? They get up at trial and they say, wait a minute, this is America. We don't have to keep bad employees around. We don't have to keep, can't do business if our employees are not good employees. We have the right to get rid of them. And listen, employee, we tried really hard to keep them for 60 days. We gave them all the, the, the bullet points that they could do to improve. And this employee just wasn't the just right employee. Yeah. They didn't cut it, and they didn't. And meanwhile, those of the twenty or thirty or fifteen different areas of improvement, some are so squishy. There's no way they could meet them. As an example, so you, that's exactly right. So you've seen that happen. Um, oh, I've seen, I've seen it happen. Now, I will say, I have a completely as a personal aside here. I have a friend who worked for a very large multinational company who is responsible for implementing such a plan, a PIP plan for many of her employees. And I will say they went to extraordinary lengths to make sure that all those components of the plan were A, attainable, and B, demonstrable. They, they wanted to make sure that it wasn't a subjective evaluation, that they were 
a concrete, measurable result. And, you know, they, but they would be honest, they were one of the very few companies that I've ever seen that, that, that really used those types of policies and procedures in a way that they're, you know, professed to be, to use. <laughs> Well, well, sure. There are quote unquote honest companies out there right. that are using a PIP for their right purpose. There's yeah. absolutely out there. We, I've had clients who survived them, often with our help. No question about it. But the overwhelming, in my experience, and I didn't take a study of it, but I could just say that based on 25 years sure. of experience, and my book describes it. If you get to get, that's why it's like uh, it, it, the book's for everybody. It's describing what you do if you get a performance improvement plan, giving you. Uh, giving the reader, um, you know, different possibilities, different choices to make over a period of time and, and discusses it in detail. And, and then there, you know, my, my book is, I don't know, about 60% factually, uh, you know, it's, it's how, to, how to do everything in employment. And then I, I wrote 59 fictional stories there to, to underscore what I wrote about. And, I, and there's stories there and ones about a performance improvement plan sure. and books about, you know, what the individual, the character is getting a performance improvement plan and, and, and like many people thinks they can actually meet it because they don't have the experience. They've never read a book or they've never talked to Neil who's had real life experience. And so they, they, they don't know. This episode of the law entrepreneur is brought to you in part by the net profit CFO, Ryan Kimler. If that name sounds familiar, you might remember him as being a guest on episode 306 of The Law Entrepreneur, where we talked about his new company and how they can help you drive profit to your bottom line. I was so enamored by what Ryan had to say that I actually became a client. I called him up and said, I'm ready to take advantage of your expertise. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm now a very happy customer or client of the Net Profit CFO. But I'm also very pleased to welcome them as a sponsor to the show. So do you want to enjoy higher net profits without working longer or harder? As you learned in that previous episode, with just nine simple numbers, Ryan will help you drive more profit to your bottom line and he won't confuse you with all the details. If you want to increase your net profit, but don't like getting deep into the numbers, I highly recommend that you connect with Ryan. You can do that by going to netprofitcfo.com and download the Financial Clarity Dashboard. It's a great tool for getting the big picture of your financials. Today's episode of The Law Entrepreneur is brought to you in part by my friend Mark Rockwell. Building a profitable law firm is difficult, particularly if you have no prior business experience. And sometimes even if you do, such as I did, you can still have difficulty building a profitable law practice. This often results in hard work, long hours, and low profits. If this resonates with you, you need to visit with my friend Mark Rockwell. Mark coaches individual attorneys as well as law firm leadership teams. Lawyers love working with Mark because he's different from other professional coaches. As a lawyer and businessman, Mark knows firsthand what it's like to overcome the challenges of growing a profitable firm. He'll help you do the same. Go to his website, coachrockwell.com, and download the five mistakes lawyers make that kill their careers. I promise you, you're not going to be disappointed in reading that. You'll get great insights on how to build a healthy, thriving law firm. 
Or you can give Mark a call directly at 503-784-7205. That's 503-784-7205. Or visit his website, again, at coachrockwell.com. That's coachrockwell.com. If you've been a listener of this podcast for any time, you know that I sing the praises of Ruby all the time because they're really responsible in my own practice for helping me grow my business, deliver personalized experience to my clients, you know, building customer loyalty, really, in terms of having a consistent front-facing office partner in Ruby, and allows me to stay connected anywhere, anytime to my business through their services. So I can't say enough about Ruby. I'm delighted to have them and continue to have them as a sponsor of this podcast. Let me circle back around then just for a little bit, because it brings to mind something that now that I'm thinking about it, you know, in my past life that I've seen, and I suspect that for a lot of attorneys, either if they're if they're doing the hiring or seeking to be hired, they may not give a lot of attention to. And that's the offer letter. You know, it, it's the opportunity to lay the groundwork for a successful employment relationship. It's also fraught with the opportunity of screwing it up. So tell me a little bit about what, you, you know, some of your perspectives about an employment or an offer letter, and what are some of the things we should be looking out for, and what are some of the things that negotiate like a CEO would help you navigate? The most important thing you should look out for is how to protect yourself in employment. You should use the offer letter and the employment agreement. It doesn't matter what you call it, whether it's a one-pager or a 15-pager. You should use that to protect yourself in employment, and that's essentially negotiating your severance agreement on day one, if you have any leverage at all. And that's what uh, the C-suite officers do all the time. They set themselves up. So if somebody comes and fires them, they say, I have my equity protected. If if they're getting an equity deal, I have my commissions protected. If they're getting commission deal, they get salary six months, 12 months paid out at the end. And that's what many people aspire to. And actually many, many individuals who are not at the C-suite level have that ability if they have any leverage at all. And sometimes it's just a one-line sentence, using it as an example. If you terminate my employment, I'm a mid-level manager, I'm a newbie, I'm somebody who codes and I have a lot of leverage because they're, especially in this employment environment, yeah. um, you know, there are people who want to hire them. If you terminate my employment, as an example, ever for any reason, uh, you'll forward vest me, accelerate the vesting of my stock, stock options, restricted stock by one year. Period, and that gives even the, that gives a form of protection. I call that a professional prenuptial agreement. I was just going to say you used that phrase earlier, professional prenup, and I I, I wrote that down because I think that's brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, actually, and I'll say you know I was listening to some of your podcasts to to prepare mm-hmm. to prepare for you today because every podcast has a different style. And, and for example, let's talk about shrewd people who don't realize that the employment agreement or the offer letter can be, needs to be used to protect themselves. You had, uh, let's see, uh, it, was, it was, I think, podcast 309, a guy by the name of Sean Greedy, who I've never yeah. met. But he, during this podcast, he talks about, he went to, as a general counsel, to the first company he went to, and, and they were sold within four months or five months, and he didn't invest any of his stock. 
Yeah. All right. And so he tells this story and then he goes on to tell the rest, uh, the, what he really did and what he's doing now. And, and that was sort of a segue. And I'm thinking, listening to this, that's because he wasn't shrewd enough to negotiate for himself a change of control protection in his offer letter. Yeah. Right. Because he, he never read my book or had never been in the world, didn't know that when you go into a world of publicly traded companies, I think that was a situation. But even if it was pre-public, you know, a company that's 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 private. But if you go into that world and it has a, you want to protect your equity and he could easily have protected all of those shares that he never got with a very simple one line sentence. If there's a change of control in this company, you will vest me all my shares. But it's certainly a conversation he should have had. And maybe he did. And I don't really know. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say negative well, things. I'm just saying that's well, an example. You had an example in, in right podcast there. 309 of somebody who, exactly, that happens all the time. So, you know. I, I I do hear from folks who say, well, I don't want to push back too hard on the offer letter because I don't want to seem like I'm going to be a, a problem down the road. And if I push back too hard, they're not going to hire me. That's that's true in some circumstances. It, everything that I'm describing is context dependent. Sure. And, and so that's absolutely the case in certain circumstances. Uh, and I'd have to know a lot more, but I, I'll, I'll tell you that's true. But I'll also tell you on the other end of the spectrum that there are um, many people, I use coders as an example, right? Somebody's coding like um, software or so forth. They have a lot more leverage than you think in this market. And some of it's geographic dependent, right? But the concept that you just raised is a, an issue that you, we face even at the C-suite level, the, the new C-suite um, executives especially the newer ones come and say, well, I don't want to tell them this, or I don't want to push back, or I don't want to tell them I have a lawyer. And I'm like, your CEO has a lawyer. No, aren't they going to think you're shrewd if you have a lawyer at your level? But you're absolutely right at the, at, even at the CCU level, but also, you know, beginning level, sometimes you don't have leverage. And sometimes, I even talk about it in the book, that sometimes you want to take a job where you think you might fail because it's going to give a stepping stone to another job. You just have to go in with your eyes wide open. Um, and as you advance your career, or as your listeners advance your career, you know that you want to take the opportunities to negotiate when they present themselves. Well, um, and the flip side of that is is that if you, you're not hired because you push back a little too much in the negotiating uh, negotiations of your offer letter, perhaps it's, it's a company that you ought not to be employed by in the first place. Maybe, exactly. Maybe that's maybe that's the uh, the red flag. Exactly, and, and, it, and again, it's context dependent. In many circumstances, it is the red flag. In other circumstances, that's just how they do business. Listen, and so we have clients who call up, and we know you know we know certain companies. They never negotiate with anybody other than their their CEO and maybe the CFO, and that's just the way they do business. And, and so, you know, you talk when somebody comes in that circumstance, even there, you, you lay out all the upsides, you talk with them about business, about the downsides. And you say, you know, you have to weigh, do you want to go here? And they're not going to give you an employment agreement. You're going to have no protection and you're going to be totally at risk. Is the upside of going there for your personal career trajectory, your family, where you're living, what you're getting, is that, is that outweigh going to some other place and getting a much better job with much better protection, right? Yeah. The yeah. world's a big place and uh, America's a big place and there are lots of companies out there. So, Well, on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, we talk about offer letters. When's the right time to look 
for and negotiate a separation agreement? The right time is when you're negotiating your off letter and you're negotiating your employment agreement. But if you're asking me um, if you don't have any protection and you want to negotiate a back-end separation agreement, yeah. then what I call a back-end separation agreement, meaning you have nothing protecting you and you walk into an office. and You, d- you uh, didn't have it when you walked in, but now you've, you've gotten to a position where you feel like it's in everybody's interest if, if you do, if you can negotiate a separation agreement. Then the best thing to do is get yourself a lawyer who's experienced if you're in that situation is experienced and can give you business and legal advice in this area, who will talk through the situation with you. The next best thing you can do is find um, you know, the uh, really experienced people in the business world who will talk through your fact pattern, because this is very context dependent. So sometimes, uh, for example, I mean, context business, sometimes the best answer to that question is sometime when things are not going well and you realize you're being forced out, which is what the third party you know, whether it's the wise and old person who's going to help you and experienced or the lawyer who's experienced, they're sending you signals they don't want you anymore. And so sometimes the answer is before it gets completely disastrous, you walk into your boss's office and say something like, I'm not quitting. I love to this place. I want to be here, but but I know you don't want me. And so why don't you offer me a professional severance agreement or a separation agreement or whatever it is, and and I'll go quietly. And and sometimes that's the road. Hmm. And I talk about that in my book. Yep. Um, and, and sometimes you don't do that because the risk is too high and you just get another job as quickly as possible. And then you try to negotiate. Or if you can't, you try to negotiate when you're given the separ- separation agreement. And a lot of companies, particularly the more mature ones, the experienced ones, they offer separation or severance. And they want to release in return because they never want to see you again, essentially. Hmm. And so the time to negotiate is at the end. And for the, there, there'll be a, a number of listeners out there or, or lawyers who are advising individuals who have what I call ERISA plans, their separation or severance agreement plans. These are at the most mature, the biggest companies typically, uh, although sometimes mid-level companies use them and even smaller companies. There are a plan in place that says if we terminate your employment, you'll get X, Y, and Z. And typically, if you've been there a certain number of years and, and at a certain level, you'll be paid out if you sign a release. And in those circumstances, again, that's even more, you have to know what you're going to be getting and then have somebody help you because you're, you are in the middle of it. And, and so, so give you third, third party help. And then you decide there whether you're just going to take it as they give it to you on the back end or try to negotiate for better earlier on, as I described, going into your boss or just going into your boss and saying, why don't you terminate with you without cause? I love this place. I know you don't want me here. Why don't you just give me what the ERISA plan says? I should get. So again, it's really context dependent, but that's sure. sort of a, giving you the different different possibilities. Well, let, let me also then ask you this: You know, we're lousy with lawyers these days. I mean, we've got a whole bunch of them everywhere. There's a lot of mergers and acquisitions, people leaving one firm, going to to another, people with a book of business and want to transfer it to another law firm. Are are there any specific pitfalls? with respect to attorneys moving and changing and holding jobs that understanding the concepts of your book, negotiate like a CEO would be able to put to use? Absolutely. Again, the first is that negotiation is all about leverage and leverage, leverage, leverage. And this in my book talks about business and negotiating in business. So 
let's just say a lawyer is leaving, taking a book of business somewhere else. There's a negotiation, certainly with the new company that they're going to, the new employment firm they're going to. They want to have that and make sure that everything's read and, and that there aren't any gotchas in there mm-hmm. uh, or any way they can be cheated out of be cheated out of their 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 um their business essentially and that does happen by the way and so and on the on the uh, on the they have to exit too so there's a discussion in my book for example about non-competition agreements and so forth which is also state dependent and so that's there as well but it's the concept to protect yourself to read everything or to get a good advisor to read everything, to negotiate with leverage, just like a CEO would negotiate with leverage, that that partner or the lawyer leaving with a book of business or merging when you're merging law firms together, same concepts, right? It's the same negotiation. It's just what the product is, is different. So when you're negotiate, when you're merging a law firms, the products are the essentially the widgets are essentially the individual's labor, the, the partners and the associates and their book of business. Whereas if you're doing a merger of, of a software company or a chip manufacturing company, well, it's the software or the chips that are that are the product of the company. Same concept. Same concept. Okay. Well, listen, Jotham, this is this has been fascinating. I have to admit that it 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 delves in a in a world that I'm not really as as familiar with as I would hope. But I think the, the principles that you're speaking to and are addressing, as you said, apply to everybody, whether they're starting in a law firm or or representing clients that are, you know, entering into the business world. And so I think the book has a lot of uh, value for all of us. And tell tell me, is the book available now? It is available on Amazon, Negotiate Like a CEO. If one of your listeners just wants to learn more about it, I highly recommend they go to the website, negotiatelikeaceo.net. Negotiatelikeaceo.net, not .com. Somebody else owns .com. But uh, if they go to negotiatelikeaceo.net, they'll learn a lot more. And and if they want to buy the book, they can press a button there and go to Amazon. And and so it's available. And That's awesome. So that's the best way for somebody to reach out to you if they want to follow up on anything you had to offer today, right? I'm say that again, please. I, so, that, I missed so that would be the best way for somebody to reach out to you is, would be to go to the website. Yeah, if they go to negotiate like a CEO.net, there is one of the pages. You know, you uh, yeah. uh, one of the pages is a contact page, and there's a way to contact me exactly. But believe right. me, that's how we get contacted. All right, terrific. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. I'm gonna take advantage of it myself and I hope to see you have great success and perhaps we can have you back for, you know, the sequel to the book. Be happy to become, uh, come back. And it was great uh, speaking to you today, Neil, and I wish you and, uh, and all your listeners the very best. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for being a guest today on Law Entrepreneur. Well, there you have it, fellow law entrepreneurs. Thank you for being with us this week. I want to thank our sponsors, Ruby Receptionist, a longtime sponsor of ours, my personal reception service, Mark Rockwell. Coach Rockwell is a very, very fine attorney coach. You would be well advised to look him up and consider retaining his services. And our newest sponsor is Net Profit CFO, the fractional corporate financial officer that, again, I am a client of. I can't recommend them highly enough, and I'm delighted to have them as our sponsor. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please go to wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a review and a rating uh, that helps tremendously in terms of making our podcast visible. Be sure to share it with friends and family. Visit us on our social media platforms. Just search for The Law Entrepreneur. You'll find us everywhere on Twitter, Facebook, and the like. So until next week, thanks again for being a listener here on The Law Entrepreneur.